Hi, this is Andrew's girlfriend, Christina. In the last episode, Andrew mentioned that he only watches The Bachelor to placate me. This is false, and I just wanted to set the record straight here and say that Andrew's actually been a fan of The Bachelor for a few years now. Um, in fact, the first time we hung out outside of work, I was invited to a Meriwether Pillerman Bachelor viewing party. So, yeah. Now that that's taken care of, enjoy the episode. Welcome to Sibling Revelry. I'm Caitlin Prilliman. And I'm Andrew Merriweather. And we're siblings. And also roommates. And also best friends. And also uh, co-Trader uh, Joe's cheap wine sommeliers. Oh, for sure. We are professional wine buyers from TJ specifically. Let me give you our top five. <laughs> that Graffon, first and foremost, $4.99. Followed by the Vino Verde, if you're doing a little spicy tie and you need a little sparkling a little white sparkling in your life. sparkling white in your life. Followed by the chariot, I would say solid choice. Lazy bones, new discovery Best. from that Paso Robles, California, <laughs> and uh, coming in at number five. What would you say, Kaylin? Honestly, that coastal, <laughs> that zin, coastal, the zin, the, the coastal zin, coming in, dark horse, Literally. at number five. <laughs> Though you know. So we have a special guest with us today. Yeah. Michael Grafwall representing Chapel Thrill, North Carolina. <laughs> I'm glad to be here. He told me that the Two Buck Chuck Cabernet is nothing to sniff at. I had written off Two Buck Chuck completely. Well, you nothing to sniff at or nothing to sneeze at? Because you do want to sniff at wine, but I don't know if you want to <laughs> sneeze at it. All right. Semantics. <laughs> See, I was I was told that you guys relegate to Buck Chuck to, you know, your chili. We do. We, we pour a so. whole bottle of wine in our chili when we make chili. But I will say, actually, the Beaujolais Nouveau from Charles Shaw is uh, actually yeah, not that, that bad. And it's seasonal. It's seasonal. That's, that's extra and it's fancy. it's like $3. It's fancier than you would think Trader Joe's would ever get. So this is a podcast where we talk about things in depth for a while uh, and also have some funky segments in between where we talk about some things that amuse us and also maybe bring some friends on uh, to amuse us. Um, so <laughs> Amuse us, monkey. Do it now. Okay. Dance, monkey, dance. <laughs> and we're uh, very excited to have uh, Michael here to join us for the conversation. Um, so uh, before we get into the topic, we got to introduce ourselves uh, and our demographics. Absolutely. Um, so each week we speak for a specific demographic that represents who we are and hopefully represents some of you out there uh, in the world. So, uh, Kaylin, do you want to lead us off? Who are you speaking for today? Sure. Um, I'm going to be speaking for... Um, all 28-year-olds who uh, have lived in Washington, D.C. at some point in their lives um, and who whose most recent album purchase was the new Sia album. And it was really good. <laughs> it was a good choice. <laughs> That's what I'm speaking for. <laughs> oh, man. So, Michael, who are you speaking for today? I am speaking for all recent college graduates hoping to soon escape their hometown and who harbor a very serious affection for Tubuk Chuck Cabernet. 
Nice. That's a fantastic demographic. And it's also like, it's specific, but also speaks to, I think, a relatively broad... <laughs> I, think, I think there are a lot of people that would apply to that. I The question, I think, is how successful are you being escaping your hometown? Because it appears, it appears not that much. Not Yeah, no, it's not going very well so far. <laughs> but maybe you moved to Raleigh. That's, yeah, no, I mean, Raleigh's a different town. That's 30 minutes from your hometown. Yeah, so yeah exactly. I mean, I'm creeping. Currently, I'm in Hillsborough, which is 10 minutes away. So I'm creeping farther away yeah. if I moved to Raleigh. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Big moves. Big moves. <laughs> Um, all right, so for today, I am speaking for uh, all people who played sports in high school, but then subsequently uh, majored in philosophy and forgot how to do the sports, uh, and now find themselves embarrassed at many sporting events among their male counterparts because they don't know what to say. <laughs> like, you forgot how to talk about sports. And forgot how like, to talk about sports. Like, men somehow know to talk about sports, and you're like, I have no idea what's and happening. you're like, oh yes, let's enjoy the skirmish together. Let's <laughs> what's the thing you're like, what's that you have a you have a friend who always says the oh same man thing. my friend suzanne yeah uh do the thing get the points do the do the oh, yeah. do the game get the points yeah, win the game get the points <laughs> <laughs> my friend has that shirt actually oh did she oh, is the, that a thing they, they, yeah there's merchandise suzanne oh, it's a, totally man. stole it <sighs> no it is slightly different i Played. think it's do the thing win the points or something like that. Okay. But, yeah, but a variation. Same. Yeah. But that's same concept. But, but evidently, that's that's a relatable category. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your demographic is full of people. Oh man. Okay. So, uh, are we ready to jump in? Yeah, let's do it. You're bringing it today. So this was actually suggested to me by a friend uh, and listener of our podcast, um, and I think he he put it uh, more beautifully than I ever could. So okay. the topic for this week is Kanye West delusional fartist or genius artist <laughs> and as sort of a as an extension of that question like when is it appropriate or to what level is it okay to stroke your own ego and then at what point does that stray into the territory of um being egomaniacal yeah well i think i mean we talk about kanye on the right on the <laughs> pretty much every day um I, I, I think I mean he he is always walking that fine line, and I think you know, in fact you and I, Andrew and I, Michael, I'll be interested to hear what you think about this. But Andrew and I sort of represent two sides of the fence because I've always kind of thought that Kanye was a, a bit of a bit of an ass um, and like sort of a entertaining ass, but I never really found that whole act appealing. Whereas you have, I believe, thrown on the word genius. <laughs> I mean, not that I have to. I mean, he, he regularly declares himself a genius. Right, but it's really different when you call yourself a genius than when other people call you a genius. Yeah, I mean, I suppose that's true. I, I So, I mean, obviously, I, should, I guess I should say right out that I am a big appreciator of Kanye, um, whether it's, you know, college dropout or Yeezus, uh, current manifestation of Kanye. Um, <laughs> I Yes, I think his antics are are fantastic and i i fully enjoy them and i think that they come from an ironic angle oh i'm I mean, sure I think they that definitely do he knows exactly what he's doing he can make us love him one day and then the next day like despise him and mm. i think he does it with a lot of intentionality he does it because he can is what you're saying i i think so how do you feel michael there i think there's a wide segment in the population that doesn't think that it's ironic and I think that that is where a lot of uh, this this debate happens. I mean, like, I there, there's a website out there that is a Kanye West egotistical quote generator. 
Um, <laughs> and it's not just the not just the little ones like oh I think I'm pretty cool. It's the ones where he relates himself to Shakespeare. He says I you know I am the right. Shakespeare of the last two hundred years. <laughs> I have changed the face of music. You know, <laughs> look upon my works, you might even despair. Like those types of things. Right. Um, and I think that's kind of what rubs people the wrong way. But I mean, I think I do agree that it's largely ironic and i think i mostly appreciate it actually i mean he has affected how we think about hip-hop the segments of the population that it that it reaches the sound of it i mean there's no drake without kanye and now drake is you know blown up like he really has affected the music industry in a whole bunch of ways that are truly impressive well I'm I, think you, I think you bring up a really interesting point and to me it's sort of this question of like what do we care more about in terms of when we want to sort of understand who kanye is do we care more about his intentions to re or do we care more about people's perception of him intention of the artist versus perception of the artist issue of like well yeah he's being ironic but if there's a whole group of people who don't realize he's being ironic what impact does that have and is that is that a bad thing is it a negative thing well but at the same time i mean even for the people who take him seriously what i guess for me the question is like what's the harm in him saying that he's a creative genius, that he's the ne- that he is the William Shakespeare of the last two de- like two centuries, you know, that he is the equivalent of Jesus. He is like Jesus come back, right? Like what? <laughs> well, I mean- that is, a, I think the Jesus one is is way. I mean, as an English major, it's sort of unbelievable that I'm saying this, but the Jesus one is like way harder to like swallow than the than the Shakespeare one. Because, like, because I don't know. But what's problematic, I guess, is is my question. Like, why does a large swath of the population get so up in arms about the fact that Kanye declares himself a genius? I think race has a good bit to do with it. May I bring up Cam Newton? Um, you may. <laughs> another another young black man who's very good at what he does and catches a lot of flack for knowing that. Um, I think that a lot of folks have a problem with that. I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily conscious or, I mean, I'm not... But I think that definitely plays a role in like mm-hmm. how the media, how individuals expect people to act, and I and I've you know a lot of the same rhetoric gets used talking about both Kanye and Cam, where we want them to be gracious, you know, in their acceptance of fame, but we don't necessarily expect that of everybody. I think I mean I think race is definitely a piece of it. I think in terms of the way he gets painted, um, I think that there are there are probably plenty of people who whether they want to admit it or not, think about Kanye and think like, oh, that like irritating black guy. And they have like that thought that goes through their head, even if it's not something that they would ever admit that they're thinking. Yeah. Um, but that that the, the race plays a part in that. And I think that, that that plays a bigger part. And like, I think that is part of the reason that Kanye is so uh, abrasive and aggressive and outlandish in his antics, because I think he's trying to expose that for what it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he's trying to draw people out and like draw people's antagonism out, which I think he is probably underlying everyone's perception of Kanye. But by being so outlandish, like that, like venom comes out. Okay, as sad as it it makes me to take a break from talking about Kanye West, I think maybe we should uh, do that. Do that. And uh, maybe share a little bit about what we've learned uh, this week in our segment that we like to call Who Knew? Kaylin, what's a new thing that you've learned this past week? Um, so I learned this uh, yesterday at Whole Foods because I was wearing a, a sweatshirt from a school, the school where I teach and that I attended. And this guy like stops me randomly. He's like, I, my sister went to that school. And then he just started telling me all these awesome facts about 
going to school in in Durham, North Carolina, like during segregation, like when like when like during integration, like a segregation was like coming to an end and like what that was like. But he told me about this book that he discovered as a young man um, that was written in 1961 called Negro in the American Revolution, which is about the first casualty of the American Revolution, which was this guy named Crispus Attucks, who was killed during the Boston Massacre. He was the first person killed, and he was African-American. I didn't know anything about that. I mean, I think, true to form, you know, we talk about the Boston Massacre, I feel like it, the white people get emphasized. Right. The way, yeah. the way that they do, and they did back then, and the way we still sort of do that now. I do have a question, though, about how we know that he was the first person who got killed. What's his, what is his name? Chris. I hear Christmas Attucks. Christmas <laughs> Attucks. Crispus Attucks. Crispus. Like crisp a, with an us on the end. U.S. Crispus. On the end. Like, how do we know that young Crisp was the first one to get shot? Well. Or is that just splitting hairs? <laughs> it's like, actually, Jeff got killed first. <laughs> but don't, like, he hit, yeah, he hit the ground like three seconds before Crispus did. So, but like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's whatever. It's just history. <laughs> Well, I just like anything back then, it was all eyewitness accounts. Um, But I mean, well, that's sort of the funny thing, not funny, haha, but the sort of (laughs) the funny thing about the Boston Massacre is that it wasn't really that much of a massacre. I mean, the whole point of the Boston Massacre, the the reason we talk about it is because it's this example of a way in which the patriotic agenda allowed that, allowed the Boston Massacre to be blown out of proportion because they wanted to rile up rile people up and and they wanted to rebel against the british empire right um i guess i kind of and they held that they held the they held that big trial you know john adams famously represented the redcoats because he was like freedom they deserve they deserve representation and everyone was like really mad at john adams and he was like i don't care i'm john adams uh (laughs) (laughs) you can suck it (laughs) he's sort of like the kanye of his day (laughs) he really was (laughs) Live out your morals. <laughs> uh, who became who became president? <laughs> so right. there you go, Kanye. Oh my God, it's foreshadowing. <laughs> uh, Michael, you want to go next? Uh, sure. It's the story of this man who is being interviewed from Rikers Island, where he'd been arrested uh, for fraud and you know other related offenses, and the man had posed as both a Microsoft employee and Apple employee. A professor at MIT, um, the son of an Irish IRA, you know, militant trying to inherit that guy's money after he passed away. Oh I man! Mean, this this guy just he's uh, he has I think twenty seven aliases in five states. The interesting thing that I thought uh, that he was doing was doing all of this with you know analog technology as opposed to he's not stealing people's social security numbers. He's hmm. actually stealing their cards, their physical birth certificates. You know he's he's also sort of a, a comical figure because one of his names that he was uh using for a while was angus jocko ferguson abramovich which is just ridiculous <laughs> yeah it's not suspect but, at all <laughs> but when but when he was named that he went he got twenty eight thousand dollars of dental work done in beverly hills uh because he convinced that person that it was covered by his apple employee insurance was he getting like a grill <laughs> you have to wonder you have to wonder what, yeah what is uh, inside his teeth <laughs> I mean, that was just fascinating to me because he's, you know, 
doing it. He's doing it old school. He also, he, I think he might actually be Irish, although he has this really pithy quote about how there are so many misconceptions about him. You can't really know who he actually is. But the, the, the article ends with uh, the note that tattooed across his knuckles He's got the uh, Gaelic phrase for "stay true," which yeah, is, it's, oh, it's, it's just, just too good. It's so good. Just, like it's so the, good. I, the irony is so delicious. All right, brother, what you got? So mine is also sort of a, a historical fact that I learned recently from reading this article from Atlas Obscura, which is this really great blog. Um, and they had this story about hot air ballooning in France in like the 19th century. I think it's like a very Victorian thing yes, to do. Yes, yeah, very yeah. like oh, aristocratic man. thing mm-hmm. to be to be it's up to. A balloonist. A balloonist. That's wonderful. An aeronaut, as it, as it was <laughs> what called. What a great name for a thing. But so it turns out that a lot of really famous aeronauts were women. Like there was like these Ooh. this whole like um, group of women who like took on aeronauting as like the thing that they did. And there's this one woman named Sophie Blanchard who would ride in this like basically like a basket that had like a three foot long balloon um, up above it, and she would just like ride through the streets of Paris and shoot fireworks off. Oh. <laughs> From a hot air balloon, which is a crazy we thing definitely to do. would not be allowed so to do illegal. today. <laughs> so, right. Well, it makes me realize like how how badass it would have been to live in France in the 19th century. How to, like, awesome it would be. Yeah. Where you could just do anything you wanted. Like, <laughs> shoot, you could just freaking shoot yeah, fireworks I mean, from a freaking It's though. stuff like that that is the reason that they now have a law that says you cannot ride a hot air balloon around and shoot fireworks out of it. Like To be the person who makes that law be necessary. Right, exactly. Yeah, that is, That's makes, great. makes you awesome. These women were, like, they were, like, famous. But then eventually her firework shooting caught up with her and <laughs> she died in a fiery blaze over, oh this, over Paris because her balloon caught on fire. Well, yeah, I mean, you filled you filled a balloon <laughs> full of, with full of flammable gas. It's reasonably explosive. Uh, well, so uh, should we should we get back? Let's ret- let's return to Kanye. The question for me just flashed into my head, remembering there there was like a a concert, a Kanye concert. It might have even been. I'm, like I feel like maybe Robert Randolph or something opened for him. Oh, it's Bonnaroo. <clears throat> yeah, and like Kanye just like didn't show up for like hours. Yeah, he was like and six so, hours late to his concert. He was like six hours late to his concert, and so the opening act, Robert Randolph, was like basically forced to just like keep playing. And then they're like, I don't, I don't remember exactly the exact circumstances, but like he finally rolls up. And it just got to the point where I think they like Robert Randolph and on the audience just started leading this chant of like. F you Kanye, basically. People were just so pissed because they paid money to see him and he doesn't show up. I like there's a my like I have a visceral reaction to that of like, well, on the one hand, like, yeah, this is part of your persona. Like, I'm so awesome. I don't even have to show up to my own freaking concerts and people will still worship me or something. But it's like, well, at the end, like, shouldn't shouldn't you also be appreciative of the fans that you do have they, i mean they showed up they're saying we're behind you yeah i mean i would agree like there's I and mean, i'm sure that there's a level at which connie is self-aware and then there's levels at which that bleeds over into just pure arrogance well i think there's a bigger question here of like if you start to be a persona for long enough do you just become that and like you then you don't even know you don't even no longer have like a quote-unquote real self and then this like persona self you just are the persona all the time i mean i think that's that's a great question but i don't think i mean because 
Kanye is, I think, trying to present the image that I, I don't think he's, I think he's trying to hide if there is any irony. I think he's trying to to push it under the rug. There was an interview he did with uh, with Sway in the Morning, which is a uh, DJ who has a really popular radio show in uh, New York, and they got into a shouting match over you know Kanye admitting he's wrong about something, and he just flat out would not do it. And I mean the video of it. I mean it's it doesn't look like it's uh, you know any sort of act. It looks like he's very I mean genuinely upset that he would be asked in a public setting to admit that he was wrong about something or he could have done something different. And so, I mean, that does strike me as the type of way that maybe his mm-hmm. persona could be bleeding into his... Or um, all the other thing is we don't really even really know who the quote-unquote real Kanye he, is. He I is. mean, he may be playing yeah. up aspects of himself that are really there. Yeah. So part of my additional question to this is like, when we're thinking about ego and we're thinking about the value of ego, do you see there being a value in being in any way is like similar to Kanye in like his like just full out like I am like I mean literally having a song where you're saying I am a god is there is there is that level of ego helpful in some way in life is that an important is there something valuable to glean from that or do you think that that is mostly just self-destructive at the end do you mean helpful like for me to become like Kanye like if I decided that I was just going to start talking about how I'm like a god and like i just walked around my life like that you're saying would that be well right is as, that what as you're individuals, saying is there something it's just there an important lesson for us to learn from kanye is he is he living out a philosophy that has something that is that is has a kernel of something that is valuable it's not a philosophy i want to embrace it sounds exhausting for one thing i don't i certainly would not want to live out the life that Kanye has set up for himself because it does seem completely exhausting um, and that it would really, really screw with your own identity. Mm-hmm. But I do admire... The thing I do admire about Kanye um, and that I do think is valuable is his total pursuit of what he thinks is true art. Like, he un- like he knows what he is looking for and he goes and just creates his stuff. He just like he puts out his content, he creates his content and like critics be damned, like whatever anybody else thinks, he does not care. I, I know for myself like in creating my own artwork or or my own creative content that there's a tendency to like want to be like overly humble and like want to just be like, "Oh, like this sucks" and like seek the approval of everybody around you to like get affirmation as opposed to just being like, "Here it is." I'm, I'm putting this out there in the world. I'm taking my stand and like I'm pursuing what it is I want to pursue with like 100% gusto. I don't know. I, and I think that's Kanye's message in a lot of ways. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just like, don't let anybody tell you that your dreams are impossible, which is sort of a cliche. But when he's like screaming it at the camera, there's something about it that I think takes on a new level of authenticity. Well, and it's less cliched because he's actually enacting it also. Right. Hmm. Kanye's just like, screw everybody else. You have like you have a vision for something like follow that vision. Yeah. No, I think that's I think that's a really great point. I read an article. I can't remember who. I think it might have been Stumble Upon sent me this article. <laughs> 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 um, that was like something about like behaviors of 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 genuine people, and it was sort of like you know and and take or leave like what you th- like how you define genuine. Right. We've already had conversation about authenticity in previous podcasts. Um but one of the things they talk about, I mean the the genuine person is sort of the person who doesn't isn't really all that concerned with whether or not you like them, but also isn't 
And so, and therefore doesn't really need to put on false modesty, but also doesn't really need to brag. Mm. Um, like they're comfortable in the, what they've accomplished. And so if somebody says like, you really accomplished that thing and it was really great and be like, yeah, thanks. It was on the other hand, you're not like, look at me, 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 look at me all the time, which is, I think what a lot of, a lot of people, certainly in the public eye who kind of get addicted to that. Um, but also, I mean, a lot of artists, because we're also extremely insecure, uh, <laughs> have a little bit of this, like, please look at me. Oh, my God, please. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little bit longer. <laughs> Just a little... <laughs> and I do. And, and Kanye has a little bit of a look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me thing. For sure. But I understand that there is something intriguing. And I think and I think he is being thoughtful about it i think a lot of the time he knows what he's doing um and i do think that he doesn't necessarily care what people think or that he cares what people think in the sense that he wants them to in a, in a sense be uncomfortable and i think that that's really interesting and and but so but kanye isn't just doing that in his art in his music he's like doing it in his identity which i think is really interesting yeah well it's almost gotten to the point where you can't really separate his art from his persona which is crazy um, to go back to something Kayla mentioned earlier about uh, whether or not you should take someone's or an artist's, you know, spoken words about what how their art should be interpreted, whether you should take that seriously or whether that art has a meaning totally separate from mm -hmm. the artist that produced it. Um, but I think that more, th I mean, truly more than any other artist that I can think of right now, Kanye's image is wedded to his music, but I was... You know, I've been brought up at a fairly, like, traditional literary tradition where you're supposed to, like, separate those two things. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not supposed to take the author's word for it exactly. You know, the, the way that Kanye has just pervaded all sort of, you know, all media uh, really was, un is unprecedented. Well, um, and it's like sort of, it's at a time that now it's po actually possible. Right. In a way that it wasn't always possible to do that. I mean, with social media being what it is, the internet being what it is. Well, so I had a, a so then go back to a, something you just said, Michael, I had a question about that. So when you are reading or when you, you've read about, you know, famous literary figures, you're learning about famous literary figures in classes, and then you find out that that person was kind of a jerk or maybe kind of an <laughs> egomaniac or maybe he, he beat his wife or whatever. Um, does that for you shift the perception of that work? Or does it stand alone? Uh, it absolutely shifts my perception of the work. I've just been told that it's not supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, you know, because there's, I think there's a lot of value um, to reading somebody, reading the author's biography into the story that they're writing, because there are a lot of times when it's meant to be that way, there's, there's supposed to be an interaction there. The notion that art can stand alone, I think, is also really important. The, the phrase that comes to mind is Roland Barthes' notion that the uh, the birth of the reader must come at the expense of the death of the author, which I think is kind of beautiful because that gives the the reader or the listener or the watcher some sort of agency to, t to you know, they have then a, an intrinsically valuable perspective to talk about the art that they're consuming. And I think that that's really valuable. So, so what happens then if we start to think about Kanye's persona, not as outside of his art, but as a sort of performance art? Could we look at it that way? Can you say more? Like, or, I mean, what if we took Kanye's whole, I mean, not to, I mean, this, this involves a certain, you know, not looking at 
him as much of a person as he is, but looking at his persona, his, you know, his media presence, his social media presence, his, you know, clothing lines, looking at that as all part of one multimodal art. All right. Uh, I think it's time to take a break from Kanye, personally. Um, I think we should turn to our friend Julia, who we occasionally get to uh, write us uh, a little something related to the topic that we're discussing. Today, Julia is going to be sharing a letter with us um, to Kanye from a very special someone. So let's check. Dear Kanye, I have to tell you, I'm a little hurt by how you've betrayed me in your recent series of tweets. Even though the public doesn't know about our history, there was no need to paint me as some guy sitting up in an ivory tower listening to your albums and giving no thought to the human struggles behind them. Still, I'm not angry with you. I'm only concerned. I wish you would come to me sooner and more directly, and privately for that matter. As the creator of Facebook, I don't and never have had a Twitter account, so I'm a little puzzled as to why you chose to reach out to me there. Is this your way of being passive-aggressive? Is this my punishment for complying with your request to give you and Kim your space? We both know that was coming from Kim, not you. But I digress. Next time, I implore you to send me a Facebook message instead, like I'm doing now. I hope this doesn't go to your other box since we haven't messaged in a while. On to my point. Let me first say this. Kanye, please believe me when I say you never, ever have to apologize for coming to me for help, even when we haven't spoken in forever, even on my birthday. If it were my 100th birthday, and I was literally about to cut the biggest cake ever at the grandest birthday party of all time, I would still beg you to come to me when you're in trouble. I would throw that cake knife down and run to you if you called. You know how much our connection means to me, even after all this time. I truly see you as a soulmate. I miss you every day, and Priscilla misses you too, but we understand and respect Kim's feelings on the situation. It's taken everything in me not to even poke you, but that's the kind of deep appreciation I have for your marriage. I say that I wish you had come to me sooner because the sad fact is that I can't even help you. Not right now, anyway. Priscilla and I already pledged to give away 99% of our Facebook shares, which constitute the bulk of our monetary worth, 45 of our 46 billion, to the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. I know it sounds weird to give away 99% of my own money to my own foundation, but trust me, the funds we've donated so far have already been allocated and there's no going back. So all but one billion of my money is spoken for, and the kicker is that my salary is now only a dollar a year. I never would have agreed to that if I had known you'd need my help. So you see, I cannot invest one billion dollars into Kanye West ideas, despite the fact that I want to so, so desperately. That one billion is all my family has left to live on. I wish you well, Kanye, and I hope against all hope that one day Kim reconsiders and comes to see the beauty of us. Maybe then we can truly collaborate and show the world what it means to ride those ultralight beams. Forever yours, Mark Z. But I also think, you know, that maybe does context have a lot to do with it? Like, depending, or does context have a lot to do with determining what things you look at at a given time? So, like, there might be periods when it's useful to look at Kanye's persona in tandem with his art and be like okay what is the man telling us about his art or vice versa and then there's other times where it's like okay we can just kind of separate out his persona and be like okay Kanye West is being a jerk or like Kanye West is being a little bit stupid right now uh but his art remains something that we can sort of appreciate Mm -hmm. and and dissect on its own 
Does that seem like... Well, I think if you're going to be... If you're like a professional critic who's just reviewing his music, I do think in a way you you need to separate the persona. Why Why? But why when you're professionally reviewing Elm as, a, as opposed to just being us, like listening to his music? If I, want, if I want to understand an artist who I maybe... I listen and I don't feel like I can fully appreciate, I will listen to somebody who knows a lot about music talk about that artist or that album and come to understand what it is that other people might appreciate about it as art. And like, I, if, I feel like sometimes I come in with an un, uninformed opinion and I like getting an informed opinion in a sense. So even if there's like contradiction, cause I mean, imagine, I mean, part of, right. So the reason that it becomes problematic for us to like not pay attention to what somebody is saying. Right. So like for me, the, the obvious example from my life is Heidegger. Right. So Martin Heidegger was in the Nazi party for a period of time. And Heidegger is also one of my favorite philosophers, right? So then, like, how you hold both of those things, right? Where mm-hmm. you're like, okay, I'm reading Being in Time um, and, like, trying to understand what's going on here. But the whole time I have in the back of my mind that this dude was in the Nazi party, mm-hmm. right? So the same person who wrote this book also was like, oh, yeah, I guess Nazis make sense, right? <laughs> and so um, you don't want... Or like you might be like, this seems like there's contradictory things going on. There's contradictory Mm -hmm. ideologies going on in this work and what this person lived out. But you don't want that in a professional music critic reading through an album where he's like, you know, Kanye West says X in this song, but then he did this in in his actual life. How do we make sense of that? that, Should that not factor in? Well, I think... I think you, in a sense, you want to do, maybe you want to do both. I mean, maybe you want to try to be objective first and then understand in context next. I mean, the person who comes to mind for me is Michael Jackson. I remember when he died and I owned a lot of his music, but I went out and like, I, I went on iTunes and I like bought a bunch of like all the stuff that I wish, always wish I had owned and didn't own for some reason. And I remember a guy that I was working with at the camp was like, well, he was a child molester. So why are you buying his music? And it was like, because I really like Michael Jackson's music. <laughs> like, uh, and you know what? He's dead. Like, he's not. Like, and, oh. <laughs> How are you going to hate on the Jackson 5? It was so long ago that he was in the Jackson 5. Like, stop this. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. It's like, I, I choose, I guess in a sense, I choose to sep- to make that separation. I don't know. It's, it's. But it is uncomfortable. On the other hand, we were talking about Chris Brown and how I yeah, really you. can't, I really can't listen mm-hmm. to Chris Brown because I know. I know he's a he beat up Rihanna and it makes me sick to my stomach and so I can't listen to him. I think part of that has to do though that you don't like Chris Brown's music enough <laughs> that you can divorce it from. I think his that's persona. absolutely true. He's also not dead, so there's something about that. Yeah, and I know I don't know if I have an answer for like why why that's okay I, or I, I guess what's what's maybe the problem about listening to that music or like consuming that person's art if you think that they're a despicable human being is that you're supporting them monetarily right well that's yeah. why i said well michael right. jackson's dead i'm so not supporting dead, i'm not supporting don't... him monetarily he's dead and also you know after someone passes away we can sort of look at their entire life in retrospect that mm-hmm. gives us a sense of we gloss over some of, of the nuance and, fin- both yeah. nuance and finality they give it you know so it, does it have really nothing so it seems like it, it has less to do with well, this music in some way contains the moral outlook of this artist and has more to do with the like idea that you would be supporting their livelihood, which involves some morally dubious things. I don't think so. Well, with, with Heidegger, do you... I mean, obviously, I mean, you've talked about that it's sometimes... You have to consider both 
sides of, of Heidegger's person. Um, but do you, is, I mean, is there a question because, I mean, with philosophy, whether, and I mean, of course, this is a question that people have been asking, but I'd love to hear your opinion if you have one about like whether there are seeds of the same thing that could make someone be okay with joining the Nazi party in the philosophy, mm. or can you actually separate them? Well, I think that the thing is, is that almost any philosophy, um, and I imagine this is true for a lot of literature too, can be turned, can turn sinister very quickly. Like Plato can be turned into social Darwinism, for example, mm. right? And I think you could read Heidegger and like take bits and pieces and be like, well, this seems problematic. But I imagine you could do that with a lot of work. Mm. And I don't think I read, like the Heidegger that I read in college ever led me in the direction of like, you know what? Jews kind of suck, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like it never like led me in right. that. Or any group of people. Or like, any group of people, right. Well, um, and also I think that we, ha- I mean... I feel like we also have to acknowledge that there may be a disconnect between what he wrote and if he actually ever lived that philosophy himself. Mm-hmm. I right. mean, practice what you preach. There's a reason that saying exists because people don't practice <laughs> people what they preach <laughs> all the time. Right? Right. Well, and to bring back the Kanye, maybe that's... But there's something kind of abnormal <laughs> about that. Yeah, maybe that, He yeah. kind of lives what right. he preaches in a lot of yeah, ways. Yeah, that's true. And, <laughs> and to contrast him with, you know, Michael Jackson or Chris Brown, or, he hasn't done any thing wrong like really bad to attract ire at least on that level yeah no i mean people just generally think he's just like i think people who have a problem with him just think he's generally a jerk and therefore like don't particularly want to support his music because they don't like the persona but like yeah there's nothing illegal or necessarily even immoral about him being the way he is maybe maybe i mean exactly maybe it's actually admirable that he's embodying his own philosophy <laughs> in a way that even martin heidegger probably couldn't do think about that for Con- a minute okay there you go kanye that's your new one i'm better than martin heidegger. <laughs> <laughs> all right so that's the sibling rubbery podcast for this week thank you all so much for listening uh we encourage all of our listeners to join in share your thoughts share potential topics uh we want to hear from you you can write in at uh, siblingrevelrypodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us uh, at sibling underscore revelry or follow us on Instagram at the same handle. Uh, So thank you all so much again, and we'll talk to you soon. This episode was produced and edited by Andrew Merriweather. Our music is by Flamingosis. You can find more of his work at flamingosis.com. Special thanks to Michael Grathwall for being our guest this week and to Julia Howland for her tangent. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 